0: Well, good morning. Glad y'all are here. I am uh, Steve Hambrick, and the pastor here, and uh, we are um, excited about what's happening uh, this fall. You know, a lot of times the churches they do these fall campaigns, and 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 we've learned a long time ago that uh, doing. This campaign together in the fall, basically kind of doing a small group study, is really huge for us. And so we are doing one this uh, fall together called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And, and the idea for us is pretty simple, is that we believe in kind of unifying and come together, going after one thing together. It just kind of gets us all together, unified, going after one direction, speaking one language. And so we're doing this thing. It's by, it's by uh, a guy My name is Peter Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And and so, again, we're doing small groups, and you can sign up for those today. But I want to kind of give you just a blurb this morning before we dive into Daniel chapter 6. Um, it's one of those things about 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I had this, um, kind of had, had this moment with the Lord um, where I was sitting there, and I kind of was just had this moment of stillness and silence before the Lord, and I just began to kind of recognize what was going on, and, and I, I felt... I felt this weight, like an internal weight, right? Like I felt this weight, I felt this tension, I felt this unsettledness, and I recognized that this was something that I felt and experienced all the time. Like, it was one of those unnamed things. It was something I wasn't necessarily even aware of, but like when I would actually slow down the busyness of my life, like it was always present. And sometimes, like, I would just not enjoy life because of this weight. And sometimes I just, like, things were kind of colored gray. And so I remember sitting with the Lord and, you know, it's again, I had, I, I was, I've, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I had seen, i have seen people saved. I had seen miracles and legs grow, right? I had seen these prophetic things. And I think all these crazy things that you would think of, like ah, right, and I'm like, but God, there's just something not settled inside of me. I cannot figure out what it is. So I just ask the Lord, God, what is this? And it was like, do you know sometimes when you ask a question without an expectation of a return answer, and, and then the person answers right? And I said, God, what is this? And God spoke. And it was one of these things where, like, and I'll just tell you, this is actually, I've shown this before at Vintage years ago, but, but I'll tell you what God said. He said, He said, Steve, you don't love yourself. And I just went, and like, all of a sudden, I just began, God, I, I'm a terrible dad. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm a terrible son to my own dad. I'm a terrible pat. Like, all of these things started cascading. Like, I had just, like, broken the dam, and they were just released, and they were just, like, flowing. It was one of those funny things. Like, I was sharing those things and stating them, but I felt lighter at the same time. And, like, it was like I was, like, being honest for the first time in my life, and God was kind of revealing this thing. And I realized... Like I had been carrying, I didn't even think of, I didn't know these things. I hadn't been carrying these things, but like I realized this was hindering my relationship with Jesus. And basically what I felt like the idea of not loving myself was simply this again, not too much psycho babble, but it was like, God said, I love you and think you're amazing. And you're not even agreeing with me about how I think about you, because if I love you, quote unquote, you should love yourself. And the scripture says, love your neighbor. As you love yourself. And I went, oh, my gosh, Jesus, it's like, it's not like I'm some narcissistic, self-centered fool. It's to know that I need to begin to agree with you about what you think about me, because what I realize is this. Listen to this. If I can't love myself and sure as heck, I can't love anybody else. If I hadn't received God's love for myself, then I couldn't love anybody else. I can only give what I've received. And so in this moment, God has me in this place of like, this is, what, how, this is where you are. And that, and this this long journey. So I've been on this journey for, I mean, for ten years, right? Of like God being like going, alright, Jesus, so I, I, I don't know what to do with any of this. And so I going to cry, God, help me, right? So God I'm just been on this journey for, it's really been ten years now. And I'm just on the same journey, always coming back to this place, always being aware of tensions, always being aware of my, of, of what I'm feeling. And I recognize if I have anger, it has a source. If I have fear in my life, then it has a source, right? If I'm anxious, it has a source. and. It All boils down to God, I'm not trusting you and don't know you in the moment. I'm trying to control my own life because every single one of those emotions is a sign that something's not right. God's putting his finger on them to highlight that there's an area of growth in me. So if I have anger, men, because how many of you is the only emotion you're actually aware of? You know what I realized? Because I have anger as my go-to emotion, listen, man, I can say this to you. Randall said I couldn't use the word immature. I need to use the word unhealthy. But I'm going to say to you, it means you're emotionally immature. Because I'm emotionally immature. I realize, God, this is this place. I don't even know you. I don't know myself. I don't know who you are. And that is I can't know God unless I know myself. What do you mean? Well, what does God do when he wants to grow you? He shows you yourself. He shows you your immaturities. He shows you your brokenness. He shows you your growth areas. Right? You can't grow if you don't know what you need to grow in. You can't move forward unless you know where you're starting from. You can't get healthy if you don't realize you're unhealthy. And so the idea for us in this emotionally healthy study is like we want God to awaken us. To our emotions, right? Our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our doubts. Like, I'll be honest with you, let me tell you what I've been recently, men, is all of a sudden, this is like such an, like, I don't want to tell you any of this because it's like me and Jesus type stuff, but like, I'm a guy's guy. Right, like I have a 21 foot Ranger Bass boat with a 250 Mercury Mercury on the back, and I fish all the time. Like I, I've killed things with a gun, not human beings, by the way. Right, I've killed things and shot them with my gun, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Right, when it was 35 degrees, and I'm in a boat that literally tips over, and I'm like thinking I'm gonna die. Like that's great. Right, I mean, literally, all these moments have happened to me. Like I'm a, I love God. I love being a man. I love chopping firewood. I mean, come on. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus, if I'm going to be the husband you've called me to be, then I need to know my growth areas. And so this this week, I've been in this place where God's been showing me this. And this is going to like be like you're going to like some of you are going to like question my own sanity or if I'm really a man. But I really am because I'm not afraid to actually dive into my emotions. Are you afraid to dive into yours? I'm just saying, man. Right. So this whole dynamic going down. Right. Like, Jesus, what's going on? Why do I, like, what's this peace? Like, I know that you love me, so i come to be with you. But I still feel this disconnect. I still feel this distance, Lord. I don't, I don't know, I know the truth here, but what is this? What is this feel this like, oh, uh, and I feel like God spoke to the moment and says, you, you know that I love you, but you don't think that I love you as much as I love other people around you. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're right. Like, I literally come to you and, go, and, I, and my mind is like, hey, Jesus. And you're like, oh, 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 hey, Steve. If I'm completely honest. Like, he likes me, but he loves me. I'm not sure he really likes being with me because I can be annoying sometimes. I'm sure none of you feel that way at all. And I going to think this was the, kind of this big word. And, and, and like, I love my girls. And I got them to Sarah right here, and I love them. But to be honest with you, there are times when they get on my nerves, Right. And when they get on my nerves, what I want to do, I'm like, ah, oh, I just need some space and time. And I realized I carried that over into my own relationship with Jesus, thinking sometimes he just needs some space and time for me. And maybe I'm going to annoy him or get on his nerves also. Like, I realized I brought that into my relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's just, that's a lie. Like, you, I mean, Misty Edwards sing the song, Jesus, here I am, your favorite one. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I have to know. And the first time I heard that, I'm like, that's the stupidest song ever. That's not even theologically accurate, I don't think, right? But no, that's probably true. Like, I tell both of my girls they're my favorite, and they're like, You can't say that. I can, my dad. I can say whatever I want to and absolutely mean it. <laughs> right? And God says the same thing, you're my favorite. You're all my favorite. I love you, and I want you to know what I'm thinking. I want you to know what I'm feeling. Like this morning, guys, those who don't, don't know Jesus, I mean, we're not talking about some far off distant God who wants you to be obedient all the time. That's all that matters. I'm talking about a loving Jesus who died for your sins and wants to walk with you through your hell every day. We don't say become a Christian because it's really cool. Being a Christian is not cool. It's overwhelming. Like you live a counterculture. You're living. It's hard, right? But then he walks with us and he puts his finger on things. He says, I'm not going to take my finger off of this. Because I love you too much to let you stay where you are. I want you to grow. Because Jesus, listen, you may not know this, but the Bible says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And either Jesus was full of it, and it's not true, or I was missing it. And I don't know if you know, but Jesus is never full of it. If he says it, he means it. His yes is yes, and his no is no. So I'm going to go, Jesus, so I can't just say, well, I'm an angry person. No, Jesus was not an angry person He is the model of who I'm supposed to become So anger that it has a root You know what anger is for most men? Rejection Always rejection 99% of the time Men, you have anger Because you've been rejected somewhere in your life Primarily, usually from your dad I'm not trying to get all psychological I'm just saying You have baggage Because who's your heavenly father? God And now you have issues with God the father Because you only have a picture of an earthly father Who was not great So what am I talking about? Emotionally healthy spirituality. We all, now we'll go back to Randall's words, we're all unhealthy, right? The women are unhealthy. The men are just immature, right? No, we have these areas of growth, these areas that God's putting His finger on. Why? Because let me tell you something. Emotionally healthy people who God has brought healing and restoration to, they change the world. Literally. Jesus changed the world. Jesus sat with his disciples. And John went from being a son of thunder, because the man's man, to being, in his own language, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Talk about a shift of identity. And he was a man's man. Like he fished with his hands, right? All night. They were like calloused. He would shake his hands and go... He works with his hands. He's a man's man, right? I mean, he's, he goes, no, my, my identity is real simple. I am a man. I am one who Jesus loves. And I want to tell you something. Jesus wants all of us to move from brokenness. Why? Because there is nothing worse than being at the same place ten years later that I was ten years ago. Have you ever talked to somebody? I'm sure it's not you. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? If you haven't seen them in five years, you talk to them, what do they do? They talk about the exact same thing, the exact same hurt, the exact same brokenness, because they've never actually received healing and restoration, because they won't let God put his finger on this issue long enough for him to deal with it. Because I would say this at Vintage, I know the majority of you, and when I look at your life, to be completely honest, as shepherd and as pastor, who loves you in your brokenness, I can read through this, and, if, and I, don't, I, don't, I can do this, I don't do it, but I could go through and say, Hey, I actually think this is one of the areas for you that God would put his finger on, because he, lets, he loves you too much to let you stay here. Isn't that the like for those of you who know the language? That's the idea of discipleship and sanctification. I'm going from glory unto glory. I'm going from this place to health to health to health to health. What does from health to health look like? Every day, I look more like Jesus. Like, so just kind of put it in, in, in kind of framework here. Every day, I grow. In the fullness of Christ. What do you mean by that, Steve? Well, if I'm going to have an abundant life, what does abundance look like? Well, it means my life is marked by love. In difficult moments, like I actually love my boss, who I see as my enemy, right? Uh, love. I have joy when my children are screaming bloody murder, and I want to strangle them in my flesh, right? I, I, love, I have joy, peace. Like guys, I've got I've got people right now in my life. Who have reason to have no peace. You know what? I look at them and go, but as we center our lives on Jesus, peace will overwhelm you in the midst of having no job, in the midst of the death of a loved one, in the midst of this struggle within your own family, right? It's like there's God's movement and there's love, joy, peace, patience. How many of you believe that you'll never actually have Patience. When Jesus said, no, after you actually, if you are healthy, then patience actually defines all of your relationships that you're in with people. Don't forget patience. KJV gets it right. It's long suffering. I'm willing to suffer long with this person. Patience, kindness. I mean, y'all, do you know how much I get with people like Jesus? You promised me kindness was your fruit. Kindness. right? It's like a little feel it, Jesus kindness. Love to kindness of, the sorry, I lost try it. Kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, self control, right? How many of you listen, how many of you in high school and college believe that self control is not really a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? How many of you men and women feel the same way? So do either Jesus was full of it or the abundant life actually is these things. And he wants to say, Hey, Steve, God, I love you. I want to let, I want to break the dam in your life. I want to allow truth to flow so that I then can move in that. And so in this series right that we're going to be going through, one of our, the three primary takeaways for us is we want to teach you how to slow down in the midst of your life to receive God's love and wisdom. Like I'm going to teach you and lead you to learn how to slow down in the midst of your schedule and to receive God's love and wisdom. Because you know, I've already said it, you can't move forward. Listen, you can't really move forward in a relationship with someone unless you know that they love you. You can't move forward in a relationship with Jesus if you don't live in the confidence. He's actually for you, and he loves you, and he likes you, and he doesn't ever, never gets annoyed with you. All right? Number two, I'm going to highlight... Help highlight obstacles to God's abundant life. We want to get in the study and allow God just to put his finger on these things and then not run from them in fear. This is me. So I'll say this. I praise God every day when I highlight when all of a sudden I become aware of my fear, my worry, my insecurities and my anger. I praise him when those show themselves Why? because it's showing an area of brokenness. He wants to put his healing. I go, "Jesus, thank you for highlighting this anger. God, what is its source? Lead me." All right? I don't go I rebuke Satan in Jesus name All right now. i us go, "Jesus, thank you that anger is present to point me to you." Right? The third thing is we want to give you a family of people to begin growing with. That's why we're putting you in small groups. Right? If you don't already have one, hopefully you already have something we can do it with, right? But we want to give you a family of people. Why? Because it's harder to hide your stuff in the context of a family. Like when you get with people, listen. If I get with somebody for a month, the, if if they'll be honest, they can tell me what's wrong with me, right? And that's actually a gift. So put in the context of a small group to help you go through this, right? So here's some practical steps. <laughs> We dive into Daniel 6, number one. We still need people who say, yes, I would love to be a facilitator. I'd love to to be the one who's kind of putting this group together. So this is not a person who has all the answers and has to have a degree in counseling to work through all these pieces. It's simply a person who says, hey, yes, I can gather a group and send out an email and remind people to come and I can do this or do this, which is pressing the button of a DVD player because there's a video to watch. Right. And you can be a point, a person who says, I don't have have the answers, but I want to point you to jesus and then pray for you and encourage you in your journey of what god's putting his finger on we need facilitators we need them on wednesday nights with scott we need them in the context of every week because listen there are some people here who need a group to go to and if we don't have facilitators then they can't go to a group but they don't know anybody okay so we need people to do that you can sign up with scott outside and make that happen number two then just invite people like, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that. Well, then you have an issue of rejection. Let's get over that right now, right? I'm afraid they're going to say no. So just invite people. Go, hey, don't look them in the eye. If it's too scary, don't look them in the eyes. You can even send them a text in this day and age, and they can break up with you over the phone, right? It's great. So invite people to come and do this. We're looking, listen, if you want to do a co-ed group as men and women together, that's great. But we're going to add, like, even to 12 people. But... We're gonna have you split up in the group. Why? Because we just need you to have a smaller group of people to talk to. Why? Because introverts don't talk in groups of twelve. So, you need, so we're trying to get you in a group where you have to talk. Why? Because that's how you grow, right? Or you can get a group of women, a group of men, whatever it may be. And so, I'm just going to invite people into this group. Third thing: buy the books and start reading now. Some of this language is new. So outside right now, there are three books. Okay, like three books, right? There's a book you actually read. You have a workbook we use in our small group. And then we have this devotion. They call it the daily office. You can go read what that's about, right? But the idea is this. It's not a quiet. Listen, this is important. It's not a quiet time. And it's not a devotion. It's in a a time specifically where I'm stopping in my day to go focus on Jesus and him to pour his love out on me. Right. That's the idea. I'm going to go and let Jesus love on me and awaken his love inside of me. I've been doing this now for the last three weeks in this specific book. It's my favorite book that I own. It is amazing. It's not hard. It's pretty much common sense. You go through it. It's real simple. It says like one little Bible piece. It has one little question and it tells you to be silent and just listen to Jesus. It's been amazing. 27 bucks on Amazon. Or you can buy for 30 out here and the extra 3 bucks actually go into scholarships and other people. Okay? You don't have the money to buy books. And so you can buy them here or buy them online on Amazon. I don't really care where you buy them to be honest with you. I'm just asking you to get them. And here's what I'm asking. When you get it... Start reading it. I hate reading, Steve. So do I. Do it anyway, right? Because this is about our growth, about us doing this together. So maybe think of it this way. You're reading on behalf of somebody else. Okay, so there you go. Just to make you feel guilty to do that. Just kidding. All right. So buy a book. Start reading now. And then number four, set your... This is important. This is kind of an important language. Set your center of gravity on Jesus as we lead a small group. Set your center of gravity on Jesus. And that's where we're going to launch in this morning. One of the statements that I've been provoked by this week in the context of thinking about setting our center of gravity on Jesus is this. The greatest tragedy it's not on the screen, it's just right here, so just pay attention to what I'm saying. The greatest tragedy in the church today is that most members have never actually decided to follow Jesus. Right? The greatest tragedy is that people in the church today who are, who are members of a church have never actually decided to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus, the word we use in the Bible, you've heard it, is the disciples, right? We had the 12 disciples, and a disciple is simply this by definition, a learner, a student, an apprentice. You understand all those language. Right. All those. Language. A learner, a student and then an apprentice and one who practices everything that they are taught. And so in the context of the church it's not just knowing Jesus stuff. It's actually doing the Jesus stuff. You know what I mean by that. Right. That our lives are marked by a by this by this learning right by this being taught and being a student and being an apprentice lear, doing what I've learned and then practicing all of these. Pieces, right? Because I'm, when I'm around people who are effective disciples, you know what? I want to be around them more. Like when I see effective followers of Jesus who don't just know the words but actually flesh it out on a daily basis, people love working for them. If you're a Christian business owner and your people don't like, and your people who are working with you don't like you, then there's some things you need to work through in that because they, you should be Jesus to them. Your neighbors, you should be the favorite neighbor of the neighborhood because everyone is drawn to the Jesus stuff that you're exhibiting every day. If your neighbors don't like you, You need to go through emotionally healthy spirituality, right? I'm just saying, because Jesus wants you to be this this city, city set on a hill, a light for all to see. There's this reality, right? There's not disciples and followers. We have lots of people who call themselves followers who attend church and don't look anything like Jesus, and it's the great tragedy. They're not actually following Jesus in the death to self, right? In this loving a self to love their neighbors. We have to be people, disciples, followers, who set our gaze and affections on Jesus. Because true followers, true disciples have Jesus, listen, as the center of gravity of their life. You all understand at least theoretically how gravity works. I take a ball and throw it in the air. What happens? It comes back down, right? It is drawn towards the center of the earth, which is the source of gravity, right? Large mass draws other smaller masses to itself, right? That's why all of the satellites, that's why the moon itself is just not flung off into into nether space because you literally have the center of gravity drawing it in. If I take my iPad, God forbid, and I drop it right now, it's going to fall on. On to the stage right here. That's just the way gravity works. And so in the nature then of life, gravity always draws things to itself, no matter what's going on. And so in the context of, of our lives, disciples of Jesus have Jesus as the center of gravity in their lives. Everything in their life is pulled in the direction of Jesus. Everything is given over to the leadership of Jesus and the influence of Jesus. And so all of their actions, all of their hobbies, all of their television and movie watching, right? All of their driving, all of their shopping, everything, this, everything turns towards Jesus and not some weird like, Oh, holier than thou, like, you know, what like, but like in a real sense of like, Jesus, you're leading me in this time. I mean, we are walking together. And So when, when the crap hits the fan, like the, throwing the ball up, what happens? The crap automatically comes back and then hits Jesus. You know what I mean in that? Like the crap of life happens and you don't just freak out and go, Dah! you go, ah, Jesus, because I'll always come back to him. When I'm struggling at work and I my boss I have a meeting with him and I'm wrestling, like I don't even know what to say. Oh my gosh, I gotta figure this out. And instead of just going, going, Oh, Jesus, I'm struggling with my boss, I go, Jesus, I'm struggling. What do you think? Because he's the smartest person in the world. Like, do I trust his leadership with a computer program that I'm designing for somebody? Do I trust him? Like, I'm not going to lie, I've been in fishing tournaments, and I'm like, Jesus, where do I go? I mean, literally, Jesus, like, you can laugh at that, it's pretty funny. I go, like, Jesus, where do I fish? Show me where to go fishing. It doesn't really work out that way very often, right? But I, but I still like, Jesus... Where are you in this? I make sure that my competition of fishing does not trump my my love for Jesus. And so when I lose, right, I'm like, Jesus, thank you. When I win, you know what I do? I'm very, very importantly, I share with everybody around me what's going on. Why? Because I think I won because God moved in the moment so I could share that with other people. All that we do, no matter what it is, with work, with home, with children, with spouse, with our chores, with our free time, Jesus... It's all focused on you, the center of everything that I do. One person in the Old Testament that we see that being true with is Daniel. Is Daniel. See, Daniel was a really busy guy. If you know anything about Daniel, you know that Babylon is going to come into the divide. there's divided kingdom. There's Israel up here, and then there's Judah down here. There's two different kingdoms, right? For those of you who are history buffs, this is important, right? So there's two kingdoms, and Judah's down here. And Daniel and his friends, um, Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego sing the song, right? They all live down here, going to find a fiery furnace, chapter 4. They're down here, right? And Babylon says, hey, we're going to overrun Judah. But before we actually fully overrun them, we're going to go in and take their best and their brightest. Why? Because we want to impact them. We want to basically kind, of, kind of affect them and kind of turn them over to, to Babylon and have a strong affection for Babylon. So when we officially go in to overtake them, they'll say, oh, hey, you're good people because you actually took Daniel and his buddies and you've given them a place of authority and leadership here in the Babylonian kingdom. So, hey, we're not going to fight you because you must be good people. You see what I'm getting at? Basically, Daniel, so Daniel was brought in to basically in, to be, a, to be a person they put on a pedestal to, so when they come back and take over Judah fully, they won't think they're bad people. It's pretty bright, right? And so Daniel's given all the chances in the world. Basically, what you need to see is Daniel's not just kind of thrown to prison, he's come and he's given the opportunity to thrive. That's the part you remember. He goes in and says, we will not eat of what the king offers. We'll just eat vegetables. And the guy's like, if you do that and you look bad, you're going to kill me. Just trust us. Right. And so they did and they thrived. And Daniel comes in with great wisdom and he interprets dreams and he tells them everything that's going on. Right. It's a beautiful piece. And, and, and then in chapter six, where we're going to dive in right now, we see Daniel been given great responsibilities by King Darius. Okay, King Darius verses 1 through 3 says this. It pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, just think governors. Think governors over a state, okay? They had their own court system. They really had their own kind of government over here. Set up over the kingdom, 120 satraps or governors to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So basically, you see right now, at least Daniel has probably 40 people who are reporting to him. And they would give account to them so the king might suffer no loss. Verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps or governors because an excellent spirit was in him. Spirit of God, right? And the kingdom planned, excuse me, the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. One of the great things I recognize in our life, I want you to hear this, one of the great struggles of humanity and our culture, you all attest to this, is our busyness. One of the things that I believe that keeps us from slowing down and stopping, one of the things that slows us down. From actually connecting with and learning from God is our own busyness. We live in the context of business. We live in the context of all the stuff that's going on. And so our busyness literally hinders us in our life from actually slowing down so God can put his finger on things. Because I talk to all the time and say, man, I tried to slow down. It's like it just hurt too much. But I just kept on b- being busy because all these things started coming. So I'm just going to stay busy. And so business is one of those things that we wrestle with, we struggle with. And so Daniel's a busy guy. One of the things we see is 120 satraps, old things he's responsible for, and now two of their high officials who are underneath him. What I want you to hear me say is this. When we look at the life of Daniel, who I believe is one who has his gravity centered on God, he is busier than all of us. He has national implications to his job every day. He doesn't have FaceTime or Skype to connect with people. He has to hop on a donkey and go over there or a horse and go and see them, right? There's all this stuff going on. And here's the thing about it. If he fails, what happens? He's killed. I mean... They already threw his buddies in the fire the fiery furnace, and just a few verses he's being thrown into the lion's den. This is not a sane man. And he works with him every day. This is overwhelming. So he's incredibly busy. With a high level of responsibility, people underneath him. Daniel worked hard. He wasn't lazy. He worked hard. The only way you get to the place and position that Daniel was in was through hard work and dedication. The king saw it, and the king blessed him, and the king moved him up. This is a beautiful thing, right? Daniel is a busy man with high levels of responsibility who works hard so it works so well that this king looks at a Jew and says, I want to give you authority over the entire kingdom. This is a really big deal. And so what I want you to begin to see in this is that in the midst of all of his life, in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of all the responsibilities, in the midst of everything going on with his busyness, Daniel gravitated towards God. You see it in verse 10. This picture is so clear. So recognize this. Remember. These other leaders don't like Daniel because they're competitive with him because they've never been through EHS and they has serious rejection issues going on, right? And so they're coming in the moment saying, we hate Daniel. We know he's a man who prays to his God every day. Let's go to the king and say, hey, if someone prays to you, prays to some other God other than you for 30 days, let's throw him in the lion's den.'" And King Darius and his narcissistic pride said, that's a great idea because I'm a great God. And so they sign off the edict and the guys go, yes, we have Daniel because we pick it up in verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, in this moment, Daniel recognizes what's happened. Daniel recognizes this tension. Daniel recognizes this rule that's been placed. He recognizes that people are against him. Daniel recognizes all of these pieces, but he says, my God and my relationship with him trumps all of these. My busyness, listen, busyness competes against gravity. In his life, busyness Busyness competes against the gravity of God. Gravity is dependent upon a large body, earth, right? You know what happens if you brought another large body close to earth? Gravity is disrupted because it begins to draw other things to it. You see, our busyness and the things of our life are like these other bodies that draw our gravity away from God and towards It. Whatever it may be for you, our fears, our large bodies, our anxieties, our worries, our doubts, our anger, all of these things like other bodies. But in this moment, we see Daniel in the midst of his business, in the midst of everything going on, with all these things that are competing against him for disruption. He said, God first. And he pulled away and said, everything submits to my primary relationship with God. Number two, for our lives and for Daniel, business demands more of God It demands more of Jesus. Martin Luther once said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. In fact, more would say the more I have going on, the more I find myself in prayer. Bill Hybels has shortened this and said, I am too busy not to pray because I can't do anything effective today apart from my relationship with Jesus and my gravity being toward, pulled towards him and everything I have going on. Daniel's this guy. Listen, I would love to know what Daniel prayed about. To be honest with you, I would love to know what Jesus prayed about. Like, have you ever thought about, like, Like, he would have thousands of people pulling at him. You know what he would do? He would offend them, and he would leave. Because he knew he couldn't do what he was called to do if he didn't make his primary relationship with the Father, primary, and pull away. Like, I wonder how many many prayer times Jesus had that looked kind of like the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, we don't really know, because Jesus didn't invite his guys into those prayer times. You just invite him into that one. But I wonder how many, like, come to Jesus conversations that Jesus had, right? Like, I wonder how many moments he had of being brutally honest before God and his struggles. How many things he just threw up in the air, but knowing he was focused on God. Have you ever read through the Psalms? Like, read... Take just go and pick out five psalms between chapter one and Psalm one and Psalm fifty, and read how many times that David bears his soul. God, I love you, but I'm so angry. I'm so anxious. These people are against me, and I hate them. I hope they just all die. Like he was so transparent. He was so honest and he would come at the bottom and say, but God, I know that you're a faithful. And you know what he did with them? He didn't hide them in his prayers prayer all tucked under a pillow. He turned them into songs for all of Israel to sing. Man, David was having a bad day that day. Poor king, right? It's like he was unafraid to let God put his finger on and expose it to the masses. Why? Because God wanted to grow him. Because why? Because he had a gravity of God first, right? He was too busy, too much going on, too many things that heaviness to not have a center of gravity towards God Daniel pulls away in the midst of this and said I know what this means for me the Daniel the lion's den it's going to be for me but I have to choose God first and third thing is busyness plus Jesus can be amazing Busyness plus Jesus can be amazing. One of the things that struck me in this whole, as I've been reading through EHS, is um, he goes into that story about Mary and Martha. Remember that story of Mary and Martha where, where Mary comes at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to get up here and help me. I can't believe you're not having her come help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about so many things. Only one thing is required. Mary has chosen what is best taken from her what was mary doing just sitting at the feet of jesus and just enjoying him and being loved by him right and so he says in his book he goes he goes it wasn't what martha was doing that was wrong it was her anxiety her tensions and her pressure her to-do list trumped jesus i wonder what would happen if mary had gotten up and was serving She'd been doing with love and joy and peace and patience. She would have completely enjoyed it, done all the work she needed to do, but she'd been defined by peace because she was so at peace with her gravity set on Jesus. Do you see that? It's not that busyness is wrong. It's that we can't miss Jesus. Busyness cannot pull us and gravitationally pull us away from Jesus. Our busyness has to be in the context of Jesus first. My to-do list serves my time with Jesus. My, My actions and all that I do serve Jesus. He trumps all of them in my life. And so Daniel would pull away three times a day in the morning, sometime in the afternoon, probably around the lunch hour, and then he would pull away again in the evening to go be with Jesus. That's actually what this whole series is about. It's literally teaching you how to be like Daniel and put your gravitational pull towards Jesus at all times in the midst of everything going on. So whatever you're throwing up in the air comes back down to Jesus because it's the reason why we're all suffering and struggling in the context of our daily lives. It's why we wrestle because Jesus is not the gravitational pull of everything that's going on. We try to control things and so we get anxious. If you have anxi- anxiety and worry and doubt and fear define your life, especially with your kids, then you have control issues. Pretty straightforward. You're trying to control your life and make things happen. You don't really trust God. that He can do it. And so in these things, right, busyness and our activity of life can be great if we submit them to Jesus and say, Lord, all of these are submitted to you. The overarching piece for us, guys, is that we, what I'm trying to get at real simply, is in the context of your life, effectiveness will be defined by how center Jesus is and that everything submits itself to him. And I just wonder how you're doing with that. Like, I'm not sitting here with condemnation going, well, Ben, you're terrible, and J.D., you're terrible, and like, Franny, you're doing okay. I'm not doing that, right? It's between you and Jesus. But I just wonder, in your honesty, how strong is this pull towards Jesus in the context of everything going on? So, Steve, how do I fix this, All <laughs> right. How do I fix this this morning? Well, you go through the study. You start being honest with Jesus. Let me tell you what you do. And you make time as a priority in the context of every day. I told the first service, I'll tell you this. You're like, well, Steve, you don't know who my boss is. Well, just tell him you've got to go to the bathroom. And, like, it's a sit-down. And you're going to take every go and you take, you take, 15 minutes and go in there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, seriously, you've to be practical in these things. Your boss is like, oh, women say it's that time of the month. Oh, my gosh, whatever you need to do, right? Go take some time with Jesus. I don't care what you've got to do. It is not time of the month to be with Jesus. He doesn't know what you mean. I'm just telling you. I mean, seriously, you're like, that's so offensive. I can't believe Steve said that. I'm telling you, Jesus trumps everything. You're Steve. I just don't don't understand. If I don't do my job, then I'm probably going to struggle. I'm going to trust Jesus to move you forward. Listen, Daniel, he wasn't. He was over here and God said, let me exalt you. Do you know, let me tell you what happened. This is like more than I gave the first service. I know it's already 10 after, right? But literally, I think I told you this, maybe I can't remember, but I was literally sitting at this camp. Three weeks ago, this youth camp I was speaking at with a bunch of Presbyterians who didn't necessarily respect where I came from or my theology or what I believed, right? And, and And it was great. I was like, oh, Jesus. And so I was literally like struggling. It's like, Jesus, like, how do I... How do I make them believe me? How do I build my I was my mind like how do I how do I help them trust me by by just kind of reveal like letting them know some of these things. And so I told this story before, and I'm not like I've told y'all at Vintage that I mean I sat with David Platt you know about a, about a year ago, and he said to me, "Thank you, Steve, for discipling me. I am where I am today because of your investment into my life." And I'm like, Duh. "David Platt, big time guy. If you don't know his name, right?" And I was like, "Oh man, well he's a good reformed guy and his theology, and they all know him, so." Let me let me go and tell them and somehow my sermon, you know, you know, I used to disciple David Platt and go, ah, right. And so you should trust me. Right. And I was beginning to realize that's control. Jesus, I'm actually I'm trying to puff myself up to make them trust me. So I'm trying to make that happen. Jesus, forgive me. And so I said, Jesus, I'll be very intentional to not make myself look good in any form or fashion. And I'm going to let you be my credibility. And do you know what? That was hard. I'm sure none of you ever deal with that. Trying to puff yourself up, make yourself look better in front of people. Right. And you never do that. Right. And I'm finding myself, I'm like, I've just got to go and preach the gospel of Jesus. And that's going to be enough. Amen.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And so Jesus, I did. And in that moment, Right. Making Jesus the center. You know what he did? All of a sudden, he did something I could never do. And by that third night... They thought that I was awesome and they all loved me and they knew that I loved them. It was crazy what Jesus did. It's amazing when I kind of hand over control in my job, in my home, in my children's lives, in my hobbies and all of those things. It's amazing what happens when I give control over to Jesus and I say, Jesus, when I throw the ball up, I'm going to let you bring it back down. or I'm going to let you put it where it needs to go and not try to control it myself. Like in the moment, guys, it was emotionally healthy spirituality. Jesus, here's a weakness of mine. Here's an insecurity I didn't even know existed. God, thank you for putting that in me so that I could name it and deal with it. All right. So let's go ahead and take once you can come forward. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you through. Uh, one of the devotions, actually, actually one of the actual devotions, but I'm going to kind of lead you through a devotion time this morning that we find in this, um, this little book that we have. And this is what it looks like. And we're going to start doing this on Sunday morning some because it's something you're not necessarily comfortable or comfortable with. So we're going to have like our own kind of this time with Jesus together as a whole, Okay. And this is what your time with Jesus can look like. So we're going to take a moment. and just take to get ready and kind of get, walk you through it. In the book, it says, take two moments of silence and solitude by yourself with complete quiet and center yourself on Jesus. Like, I don't know about you, but since being quiet for two minutes feels awkward, right? And so we just silence ourselves. And what happens in our silence? All of a sudden, we have like a cascade of thoughts. And that's part of our training of learning how just to focus on Jesus. So the language that I've been using for myself, I was like, God, give me an image. And so the scripture talks about the hills melt like wax before you. So I began to think about all of my thoughts being like hit mountains. They're like wax, and and I'm I'm going up to the mountain of Jesus in this two minutes, and all of those things—the work and the busyness. Like, do you recognize my job's not easy, guys? Right? Like, you know, being a pastor is the best thing in the world all the time. Like, it's really hard, and you aren't always the easiest people to work with. I'm just saying, right? It's it's like—like there's these moments of heaviness and difficulty and hardship and struggle that I have in myself, and my phone's on 24/7. I mean, it is what it is, right? And so I'm like, have all these thoughts cascading, and things at home, and all these pieces. I'm like, Jesus. I have to see you. I focus on Jesus. And so I just sit there for two minutes and say, Jesus, I just want to see you. Hills smell like wax. I want to find the mountain of God and it be the only thing I look at. So for two minutes, I'll do that. And then you read through a verse. We have the, the Daniel 6, verse 10 up here. And then you med- you think about it. I ask you a question. Here's my question. I want you to think about it. Think about Daniel with everything going on in his life, his busyness and his schedule and all this type of stuff. Think about what he prays about and the center God being the center of his gravity. What did that look like and how does it compare to my life? Just let God kind of lead you on a journey through that verse and thinking about the implications of it. And then when you get done, whatever God's put on you, then you're going to have some time in worship just to process through that this morning, if you're confidently not a a Christian, again, I'm glad that you're here. This sounds crazy. But I want to say to you this morning, if you will ask Jesus, he'll speak to you. Because we believe he's living. We believe he's active. We believe he created you. We believe he has a plan for you. And he wants to move in your life. And he wants to save you. And he wants to move in you because he loves you. But you need to be honest where you are this morning. And in that honesty, I'm in the front row. You come talk to me about it, and I'm going to help you process that. So, with that, I'm going to play some music behind me. I'll go ahead and close your eyes. Let's take two minutes just focusing on Jesus. Just Before we go any further, I do sense the Lord saying there's someone here who is literally just stopped and stopping you. All these thoughts have crept up in your language this morning was, I just can't do this. And uh, this morning, I want you to know that you can't do it. But Jesus wants to meet you where you are. And we would have prayer teams available in a moment who'd love to come pray for you. And uh, put up Daniel for me, Rob. I'm going to read this out loud. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. Everybody watched Daniel pray. He knew, they knew what he did. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So I invite you just for a couple of minutes. I want you to allow God to speak about the center of gravity, the busyness, the life of Daniel. What was going on with him? Just allow your thoughts, just God, to allow you to, to lead you, directing you to the thing that speaks to you in the moment. The ministry teams, I invite you as soon as just take a minute, and then you won't mind coming forward. And, and this is officially the end of our service. And as we go into this, I want you to kind of meditate. I want you to focus on these pieces. I want you to allow God to speak. If you need someone to pray for you, then we'll have teams on both sides just to walk with you. I don't care what it is you need prayer for. I'm going to pray for and minister to you this morning. But I invite you to stay as long as you want to. We're going to, Tate's going to play until 1130 or 12, 1230. Sorry, we've changed schedules. 1230. And then we're going to turn the music on after that. But I want you just to stay and just focus on Jesus and let him do what he wants to do in you. We have communion available, and if you've come prepared to give this morning, obviously these are offering baskets here, and I invite you to give as the Lord leads. So, Father, I pray this morning as we dive into just focusing on you and allowing you to speak, I pray first for those, God, who you're moving in, God, who are followers, Lord, but you want them to center more on you. I pray for grace in that, And I pray this morning for the people who don't know you. And, God, those who say, "I, I just can't do this anymore. I pray you would help them realize that you're the only one who can, but that you can save them, and you can empower them, and you can walk with them forever. They've been lonely, and you can meet them this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you would stir them and bring them to the knowledge of your love for them this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. You guys, don't forget to sign up outside for the facilitator or for the community nights this week. We love you guys. You respond as the Lord leads this morning.
1: I'll remember the joy of my first love. Praise be my soul. How can I contain it? I cannot contain this love. Praise I cannot contain it. I cannot contain this.